0: your Bibles, you can turn to them, open them up to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. So today we're going to continue our series, and it's Advent season. This is the third week of Advent, and as you know, Advent is there on the calendar to remind us of the first coming of Christ. That's what Advent means. It means coming, arrival. And we celebrate the arrival of the first coming of Jesus, um, born through Mary, Bethlehem, in a feeding trough where animals are around. What a place for a king to start, huh? But we also celebrate Advent as a second Advent, for you see, we live in the two in the gap of the two advents the first coming and the second coming so we could probably think of the advent season as as fuel and celebration that gives rise to hope and increasing endurance and perseverance as we long for and focus in on the second coming of Christ so what we're doing today is what we did last week and the week before so forth that is a series on taking stalwart doctrines of the faith and looking at them through the lens of Advent. So this is an Advent message on justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Some of you are familiar with that doctrine, others of you aren't. Hopefully by the end of this morning's message, not only will we be familiar with that doctrine, but rather our hearts will start burning for and believing in that wondrous gospel through which we see the wonderful Redeemer and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's get this kicked off, no pun intended, by saying great stories are like great football games. I love football, and I love drama, And maybe that's why I love football the way I do, because great stories are like great football games. It was a decade ago, about this time, it was a cold November day, and the Iron Bowl college football game was about to kick off. This is between Alabama and Auburn. I could care less about either team, and yet when they mesh together, you know there's going to be drama. Auburn usually loses. Alabama generally wins. So it's kind of a a prediction that that's exactly the way it's going to go. But like great stories, great football games, when it just seems lost and no hope at all, miracles sometimes show up. So Alabama and and, uh, Auburn are battling it out. It's a good game, but it comes down to the last second of the game, and Auburn's faces look like, oh, not again. We are going to lose. There is no way we're going to win this game because Alabama, all they have to do is just kick a field goal, and they win. Alabama is in Auburn Stadium, and they're getting ready for that field goal. The only one back, everyone else is rushing, trying to block this or whatnot, the only one back is a man named Chris Davis, and he's out there in the end zone, and he's probably just going to watch this football go right over his head, through the goalposts, and Auburn loses. There's just absolutely no way Auburn's going to win, so the snap was made perfect placer put it right down on the turf exactly how it's supposed to be and the kick powerful up and out and it's going and it's it's Chris Davis catches the ball right underneath the goal post it fell short and Chris starts running and everyone's kind of going what the heck you don't see that before and even the commentators don't even know is this legal Can he take that out? And he starts running the 10, the 20, the 30. He has got to go 109 yards to win this game. And Alabama's immense defense is certainly not going to allow that. He goes 20 yards, 30 yards. He cuts out. He gets this block. He turns the corner. And the announcer is going crazy. He says, he's on the 30, he's the 40, the 50, he's, he he cuts right, he's on the 30, the 20, the 10, it's a touchdown, no flags, Auburn wins, and there's this uproar, 28,000 from the student body is just screaming elation, overflowing with joy, they overflow the field and they have about 15 to 20 people dancing on the field. Auburn wins the game. And Alabama walks off as losers. You see why I like football, don't you? Great stories are like great football games. When all seems lost, sometimes a miracle just might happen. You have your Bibles open? We're not going to talk about football Anymore, because that football game probably will go down into the annals as the most, the greatest moment in college football. But we are about to look at the most, the the greatest story ever told and the greatest ending, an ending that never ends. Romans chapter 3, I'm going to preach. One paragraph out of God's Word, it's a single sentence in Greek, and it just keeps going on and on and on and on and on and on and on, and and it's kind of hard to put it into a, a diagram or an outline, so we gave it our best shot. This little paragraph for centuries has had many, many men and women, scholars looking at this and common people like us reading this and reading this and the depth of which will never hit bottom. And yet it is so rich, so adventally rich that this was the passage chosen for us this morning. Please stand with me as I read God's precious word. Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 21. Romans 3... of the one who has faith in Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we are at the cusp of this paragraph. Hopefully, with bated breath, that we ease into it and we lean into it and we look into it in a way that we see the invisible realities of the reality, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, today we are taking a paragraph, and what we want to do is try to extract from a paragraph very rich deep, thick paragraph. Extract from it just one sentence. So this is the sentence I would for you to remember. You can write it down or think on it. God justly justifies the ungodly who has faith in Jesus Christ. God is the subject of this message. God is the subject of this book this book is about him it's for us certainly but it's about him he's the protagonist he's the main character he's the all-in-all we're looking at god this morning god justly justifies the ungodly who has faith in jesus christ we'll look at it this way it's three points The first point, 21 and 22, the declaration, what we're going to see is, is that actually taught in this paragraph? So 21 and 22, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, who wrote this letter to the Romans back in about 57 AD, he says, yes it is, here it is, and that's the declaration. But then we're going to say, I need explanation, I can't just take it at face value, just like a statement, I've got to have a little bit of explanation. And then in the middle part of 22, we come across a little word. If you like to circle things in your Bible, I would say box the first two words in the paragraph. I mean really big. But now, and we'll get to that in a bit. And then drop down into 22 right in the middle of it, and you'll see this little word that doesn't really mean a whole lot to many of us. Four, and you can circle that one. Four tells us he is going to explain what he just said in 21 and 22, and that's the explanation. And then in 25, right in the middle of it, to 26, it just crescendos in the vindication. Of whom? Well, you'll have to wait and see. So, here we are, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. It would behoove us to at least get a little running start on a paragraph. If we're trying to read the Bible, all we do is like open up the book and put our finger in it and kind of read a word or a sentence or a a paragraph. That's not a very good way of reading it. If that's where you're at and that's what you want to do, do because you want to get into the book. But it's good to see that There's a context with everything that they say in the Bible. So we go back, and in Romans 1, 16 and 17, there's your thesis for all 16 chapters of this letter. It's a mammoth, magisterial letter called Romans, and in chapter 1, verse 16, you can go back and look at it. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, why, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is displayed. So then, he goes on and look at verses 18 through chapter 3, verse 20. That is stunning material. That is something that when you read, you can't just go, into, so what's for dinner, or I need to take care of the laundry, or it's, it's absolutely stunning. It starts off with saying, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And you can read on and on and on that there is coming a day where the wrath of God, the just anger of God goes upon our rebellion. And so in chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do you suppose, old man, who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you'll escape the judgment of God, the just, right anger of God upon our sin? Verse 5... On that day, wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Chapter 2, verse 16, on that day when according to my gospel, which simply means good news, right? This is the good news of great joy, and yet all we're hearing right now is judgment and wrath upon all ungodliness. Verse 16 says, on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of of men by christ jesus chapter three verse ten there is no one righteous in this auditorium there is no one righteous who is looking at this service through their tv set there there is no one righteous not even one it says and then he's going to summarize this great big huge bad news by verses 19 and 20, which says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight." since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. There's like no possible way we have any hope. There's none. I mean, you can't do anything to get out of it. You can't appease him by doing something. It's just there. And then verse... 26, excuse me, 21 says, but now. If I can say this without offending anyone, that possibly could be the most beautiful but in all of Scripture. It shows forth a contrast that you just go, what is going on? It was sheer black darkness of wrath. But now, the future pierces the darkness and comes into this light in 4 B.C. with a little baby. And here it comes. At the present time, but now, and now we're going to launch on the message. Here it is. God Justly justifies the ungodly who have faith in Jesus Christ. Look at the declaration, verses 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, there's a few little points in there. The first one is, all that we just said about this justification to the ungodly only by having Jesus Christ starts off with saying uh, it's apart from the law. So, So what that means is not that the law is inconsequential. That doesn't mean that the law is bad or or, or it's, it's the problem, not at all, the law is good, the commandments of the Lord are, are to be treasured, but he's talking about a system of salvation, part from the law, so think of it this way, in, in Judaism, we, we know that they have ten commandments, and that's carried over to us, and we know the ten commandments, but did you know, and I just, Look this up last week or so, I'll probably get it wrong, and someone will come up to me and say, it's not that, it's this number, which is great. In Judaism, it went up to about 615 laws that they had to keep. Can you imagine that? Now, that wasn't to earn their way into favor with God. It was to make them distinct, make them peculiar people on planet Earth, and it was to show them to to have a need for a Savior, not a system of salvation. So think with me, like 615 to do on a list, and we follow it. I I I need to take out the trash in the morning. I I need to read my Bible in the morning. I I need to take care of uh, domestic chores. I need to go out to work and I need to be the best employee or the employer ever. And, and, and I, I can't speed and I shouldn't go through yellow, but I certainly won't go through red. And I and on and on and on and on. Think of them as as like a ladder. And here's the rung. 615 rungs. And what we're doing is we're just Under the law, by works, climbing up the ladder to demonstrate our prowess, to demonstrate our faithfulness, until we get to the top and say, are you happy with me? And that is utterly sinful, because we can't earn our salvation. So he's saying, apart from the law. But then he says something about, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It is referring back to what? The the statement, God justly justifies the ungodly who have faith in Jesus Christ. So, all through the law and the prophets, it is testifying to this declaration, this statement. Where? The law and the prophets. If you look in your English Bible, you'll see most of the versions, probably all, will capitalize L and capitalize P you see that first it's not about the law apart from the law that's that's a lowercase l and what they're trying to do is show that apart from the law it'd be like a system principles and and precepts and commands trying to get your way into favor with God but now we have something a little different the law and the prophets this is shorthand for Old Testament Hebrew Bible You'll see it in three sections in the Hebrew Bible, law, prophets, and writing, the writings. And so these are three sections that the Hebrew would think through the Old Testament. That was how it was organized and how it it flowed. And so he's just summarizing it by the law and the prophets, meaning the whole Old Testament. There is smattered throughout the whole Old Testament an Old Testament that we can't quite see the 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 fruition of God's promises, but we can see hints and echoes and types and points pointing us toward the culmination of and the and the completion of His promises. So it's peppered throughout all the Old Testament. It's kind of like uh, Lisa and I went to a movie a couple weeks ago, and you go into the movie theater and you sit down and it gets really dark. And I didn't realize this um, because my eyes usually are fixed onto the silver screen. But it was super-duper dark, but there were some lights in the darkness. And I looked at them, and they were, they were the, the aisle floor lighting. They looked kind of like rope, and there's little lights in them about two inches apart, a little dot, 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 dot all through the darkness. And I went, would you look at that? What a great illustration. I didn't know what I was going to illustrate with it, but it was a nice illustration. It was on the aisle, on the path, leading people to the light. Out of the darkness into light, going to the emergency exit to escape the darkness and go into the light. That's kind of what he's saying here about throughout the whole Old Testament, you see these things. Such as, if you want to look at, fine, I'm just going to take a stone and throw it on to the Old Testament and skip on a few things. In the law, here's what is testifying to what we are looking at in Romans 3, 21 through 26. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. So God is talking to the nemesis, the, the enemy, the arch enemy of God and his people, Satan himself. And he's talking to him and he says, He shall bruise your heel and you shall bruise, excuse me, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So through the woman, there's going to be an offspring. A seed that goes through all the generations, and God is going to protect the seed until it comes into completion, the destination. And finally, the skull crusher is the son who grows up to be a king, who defeats the enemy and takes God's people rescues them, and protects them, and provides for them, they are saved, and the arch enemy is doomed, that's the storyline, that's the, the seed, that's, that's this law, prophets, and writings, and, and so then, you go to Genesis 12 through 22, and 49 to 10, we're certainly not going to go through all of those, but you see Abraham, and, and, and God calls Abraham and he says, I want you to leave your land. And I want you to leave your kindred and your home. And go to the land that I will take you to. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And out of you will come nations. And they will be blessed through you. There's that seed that's, that's through. And so Abraham and Sarah, through them will come Isaac, there is no way. The guy is 100 years old and she is 90. Come on, I don't think this is going to work. And Sarah conceives. It gives birth to Isaac, who is named Isaac because of laughter. Joy has arrived. Is this the seed? Is this the culmination of all those promises? No. But through Isaac... And Rebekah, who was barren and there's no way there's going to be offspring, comes the twins, Esau and Jacob. And God chooses Jacob, who was in the womb at the time, that you be the one through whom this seed will come and and, uh, bring forth an eternal kingdom and rule over my people. Jacob was a rascal. Everyone in the Old Testament are rascals. It's not gonna happen and God intervenes and God protects and God guides and God forgives and God leads them. So here comes Rachel and Jacob loves Rachel but Rachel barren. there's no way it's gonna happen. Oh, I love great stories because it looks absolutely hopeless. And then, who knows, maybe a miracle just might show up. So through Rachel, here come the twelve. And Jacob is renamed Israel. And Israel now, these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And there it is. It's all up there. Forty-nine-ten. Did you guys name Judah for this reason, by the way? So we're at 49.10 and we come across one of the boys whose name is Judah. And it says, the scepter is not going to depart from you. You will rule and all the nations will obey and come to you. You being the king. That sounds so much like Genesis 3.15 to crush the head of the serpent and bring forth equity and justice and mercy and grace and glory to God's people. No, but it's getting closer. And so then we go into the prophets. And you know 2 Samuel 7. Is it King David? He now is in the land. He now has at least a tent, but moving towards the temple and where God will dwell. And through David... Not quite David, but through David, his offspring, there will be a king with a, an eternal kingdom who will rule and reign over the whole earth. This is crazy. This is coming. Well, it's moving in the right direction, it's getting closer. Isaiah 53 we read. Some of you know Isaiah 53. I encourage you to read Isaiah 53, 52 and 53 slowly and and prayerfully. And now we come across this this leader, but he's a sufferer. And and they call us uh, the sheep that have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord lay the on him so it looks like he has all this iniquity laid on him and it looks like he dies this is 700 BC what the heck is going on who is this and it almost looks maybe it is that he is resurrected somehow some way and this is getting exciting so we got to flip the, the book forward and go into the writings, and, and now we see this, this massive king, this glorious reality, is a king, but he also calls himself a husband. And we read in, in uh, Hosea 2, at that day, declares the Lord, you will call me husband, and I will betroth you to me forever, and I will betroth you to me in righteousness and injustice and steadfast love and mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. So now we've got this king who is going to slaughter the enemy and, and extract God's people and care for them and put them in a place of plenty. And he says, I love you. I want you. We will have very close, intimate connection. I don't know about you, but this, this story is getting pretty crazy now. And then we go into Micah 5. And you know Micah 5 too, some of you. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. There he is. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is of old, from of ancient. So, just a little smattering of all through the Old Testament, those little lights in the darkness, pulling us along, guiding us to the light, the but now, at the right time. God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. So we're just following that light and we come into now next phrase, through faith in Jesus Christ. We're still at declaration. I promise I'll put it in fourth gear. Faith isn't overly defined well in today's conversations. Belief, faith, hope, all those things. So I just wanted to grab a few um, passages or at least a few verses to help us to understand what faith truly is. I don't know if it will come up but faith is a gift. So uh, in Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9, um, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift, God, not the result of works so that no one can boast. So we see that right now, faith in Jesus Christ is an actual gift that we then latch on to, to Jesus with. So Hebrews 11:1 1 says, um, faith is the assurance of, of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. So now we're starting to see an inward um, sense of the word faith. It's a conviction. It's an assurance. And in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says, Now it is impossible to please God apart from faith, for anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder for those who earnestly seek Him. So now we look at him in the pages of Scripture and we start thinking of his characteristics, his attributes, the, the, the existence of God, who he is. And then we notice that he is abundant in generosity. He gives and gives and gives. He rewards. He loves to give to his children. That's the God to whom we run by faith. There it is. God justly justifies the ungodly who has faith in Jesus. Now, what does that mean? How can you explain that? And Paul does it in verses 22 through 25. The first thing he looks at is there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is supposed to be huge, hope-filled words. There is no distinction. You do not have to be born in royalty, a great family. You do not have to be popular. You do not have to be educated. You do not have to be a celebrity. You do not have to wear super-duper cool clothes. You do not have to be something you're not. It just flattens out the whole playing field. Rich, poor, educated, not, religious, Irreligious, wealthy, poor, all those distinctions, he says, there is no distinction between any of you for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is good news, knowing that we are candidates and we didn't have to earn something or be born into something or achieve something. We're all the same. And then he says, here it is. By grace, keep your eyes in the Bible. 22 through 25, by grace as a gift in Jesus Christ. So now we're starting to move to some of the, the, the pieces to this component. He's going to take the gospel and he is going to explicate it or, 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 or teach out of it and, and organize some of the, the key pieces to the good news of great joy, the gospel. And he, he pulls out justification and then redemption and then propitiation. And we're not going to go through all of those. Pastor Garrison did a great job with some of those. We're just going to focus right in on justification by faith alone in Christ alone. But here's what it looks like these are just simple definitions justification fully forgiven of sin and fully declared righteous in Him. Please don't miss it because there's two pieces to that wonderful truth that we're looking at this morning. Because there are two problems coming out of Romans 1, 2, and 3 that we all face, and that is we are guilty and we are condemned. The solution has to deal with both of those. And so you are guilty and you're absolved from all sin, past, present, and future, lifted up and taken away. You are forgiven fully and fully declared righteous in Him. And so what that means is not only are you totally and utterly forgiven, but you're not condemned. You are declared, you are ascribed, you are credited righteousness not in you and, and around you, but in Jesus Christ. So He is our righteousness in justification by faith alone. Through redemption, a costly deliverance for His people, He shed His blood for this gift. And it's like in Exodus, He pulled us out of slavery through the, the blood and 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 got us out of the curse and put us on the path that leads us to the, the land that flows with milk and honey. The beautiful Edenic paradise he's guiding us to there. And through propitiation, a costly satisfaction for his justice. So some of you might have heard the big idea and said, there is absolutely no way that can be true. How can God justly justify the ungodly. That just sounds horrid. It would be like coming to a, an Al-Qaeda leader and you are a, a, a man of authority and you look at an Al-Qaeda leader who took a head off of a baby and took the bloody corpse over to his mom and then raped her and put a bullet in, it, in her head. And then this person says, I absolve you. Go free. Whom among us would say that's just? Whom among us would say that's righteous? And if God isn't just, and if God isn't righteous, why in the world would you want to hang out with him? That would be a monster. That would be awful. It would be horrible. If that's not God, because he's just And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How can that be? And here it is. Justification by faith alone. He sent His Son to be the sacrifice for your sins. Therefore, you are fully forgiven as you put your faith in Him. And He sent forth His Son to live the life you couldn't live. Perfect. Perfect. And he takes that perfection and righteousness and shifts it over to your account and looks at you and says, you're righteous. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. Down through the ages have said it far better than me. For example, Martin Luther, he says, Therefore, faith justifies because it takes hold of and possesses this treasure, the present Christ. Therefore, the Christ who is grasped by faith and who lives in the heart is the true Christian righteousness, on account of which God counts us as righteous and grants us eternal life. Calvin said similar, emphasizing a few things differently, but we define justification as follows. The sinner received into communion with Christ, is reconciled to God by his grace. While cleansed by his blood, he obtains forgiveness of sins and then clothed Christ's righteousness as if it were his own. He stands confident before the heavenly judgment seat. It's well said. There's a a present um, scholar in Chicago, Marcus Johnson. He says this, Justification is that benefit of our union with Christ in His life, death, and resurrection in which God declares us to be righteous through the forgiveness of our sins and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Oh, I hope it's getting close to the heart by now. This is what we're saying at Advent season, that Christ came to do this on your behalf. And all it requires is that faith, that assurance, gift from God that brings forth an assurance and confidence and satisfaction in Jesus. I have no idea where we're at here. This all leads us to the crescendo. Crescendo. We are on the edge of the seats. We love crescendos. I love crescendos. I love drama that finally is resolved because it all looked hopeless for Dan Turner. It was just awful for Dan Turner. Then, but now, and at the present time, he showed forth himself. Here is the crescendo for us. Verses 25 through 26. It would be a shame if I didn't read that. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. Think Old Testament. It was to show His righteousness at the present time think verse 21 but now so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus I'm closing with this because this is the protagonist this is the main character of the whole Bible this is all about God we want To be with Him. Because He is righteous. He is holy. He is pure. He is heartbreakingly beautiful. There's no trace of sin in Him. There's no shifting shadow around Him. He is the all in all. Our hearts were made to rest in Him and relish Him. And He demonstrates His righteousness like this because in the Old Testament it looked like he just kind of passed by people kind of overlooked their sins Abraham Isaac Jacob Judah, Moses Joshua you name it they're sinners and it looked like he just kind of but he doesn't he didn't all those things in the Old Testament that that pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, it all culminated in Him. And so now in His forbearance, He's ready now to display what the whole picture is about. Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He vindicates His righteousness by shedding His Son's blood on the cross and raising him in triumphant victory as the first fruits of the new creation. God is vindicated and we are saved through Jesus Christ that puts him on display as what? The just one and the justifier who has faith in Jesus Christ. So I thought, how in the world can I take this thick paragraph and bring it down on the landing and say, amen? It's so huge. I didn't know what to do. So I thought, I'll break out an MRI. I've had MRIs all through my body. I'm tired of MRIs, so I thought I'd give you one. And it's going to scan your heart. I'm going to ask you two diagnostic questions. I don't, unless you want to blurt it out, that's fine. You have freedom to do that. But right when I ask this question, you will answer it. I know you will. Your heart will just, it'll be a, 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 just a, a reflex. And it will come right out. Listen to what your heart is saying with these two questions. The first one is, tonight... You died, and immediately you're before the holy, righteous king of the universe, and he looks at you and he says, why would I let you into my kingdom? What right do you have to enter my kingdom? On what basis should I open up the gates and let you in? What would you say? There's only two systems known to mankind. It's under law by works or under grace by faith. Where did your heart go? What you're doing here is you're probing into the object of trust, the object of of reliability, This is reliable. I'm going to shift my whole existence on this platform that I can confidently say, my heart says, I know this is true. On what basis would he open up? So suppose he opened up and he says, come on in. Here is question number two. And you walked in and you were like a five-year-old Christmas morning. You were looking around and you were seeing all these gifts present it's all over the place. And they were the very things throughout your whole life that you just longed for. And sometimes those longings would break. Sometimes those longings would die. Sometimes those longings would just dissipate into just a dream. And, and you're just, you just couldn't grab them all, but now they're all here. And your heart is palpitating. And you're looking around saying, this is where I want to be. The question is, is it still paradise, if Jesus Christ is not there? The question is looking at not reliability, but desirability. Your, your values, your treasures, your, your all-in-alls. The truth before us, and I place it on all of us, is a glorious reality that when it looks like there is no possible way that this is going to work out, that this could be for me, there is a miracle that shows up. His name is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. God justly justifies the ungodly who puts their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father, Heavenly Father, Happy Father, we look to you and say thank you for this morning. We ask, O God, that you will take these words of the Scriptures and will gently place them upon our hearts in such a way that they penetrate our hearts in such a way that transforms our lives in such a way that you will be honored and glorified and your renown and reputation will be upheld in your work simply because we see and savor Jesus Christ as our all in all who did it all for us and now we just rest in his accomplished work. Bless us with your truth and your treasure. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.